Hello and welcome to Blooming Abroad, a podcast where we look deeper into the lives of Cullen, that's me, and Sarah, that's me, two ordinary Jesus followers trying to make a difference in Central and Eastern Europe. Hey guys. Hello. It's good to be back with you after our back. After a little bit of a hiatus here, we had a January and February uh full of wonderful memories mm-hmm. and a fair amount of rest and all the other things that are in between as uh and a massive amount of change. A massive amount of change. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a few weeks since we've been on the podcast train but it's a really good opportunity for us to pause and relaunch the blooming abroad podcast yeah welcome to the new year happy new year by the way happy 2024 we're almost to march and it seems like yeah it seems like things have been a blur yeah i don't know about for you guys i know you haven't necessarily been moving across the world but maybe some things that you've been doing or some projects or situations that you have in your life have maybe felt that way, though. Yep. So um, I just want to say it is pretty freaking sweet to have so much sunshine. Yeah. That has been nice. Yeah, we've been pretty dreary for kind of January and early February. It was pretty dreary, but we've had some beautiful sunshine the past couple weeks. Yeah. It's been really, really great. Makes uh, winters... Winter transitions back to Michigan all that much easier. For sure. So you guys notice we've got some new jams as you come into the episode and some some nice vibes as you go out mm. of the episode. New year, new jams. That's right. And this is episode 10, so we're crossing into double digits. Yeah. We have spent the last couple of months thinking about what this podcast could look like going forward. So this episode and the next episode, we're just going to take some time and kind of talk around the theme of what we've been up to. Yeah. Had a lot of people sort of, there's like two camps of people. There have been one. It's just been totally like you reach out to us when you feel ready. And then the other camp is like, what's going on? What's up? How are How's you? Going? How is your time? How's your transition? And it's in a good way. Yeah. On both sides. It, we love we both. Need, we love we both. need both. Yeah. Yeah. But for those of you in the second camp, this podcast hopefully helps you out. Yeah. At least this episode and the next episode will. And then once we get into episode 13, that will be more about what's coming up the road for us. Yeah. And what's coming up the road for this Blooming Abroad podcast. Yeah. As, as you most, if not many, if not all of you know, we are no longer living in Hungary. Yeah. So the intro has kind of taken on a different life of its own. We are still trying to make a difference in Central and Eastern Europe, just in a different way. Yep. So we'll talk a little bit about that in the next episodes to come. As for today, we're just happy to be back with you. Hopefully this episode brings your week some joy. Maybe it's a nice supplemental extra thing to go with the sunshine for your drive to work or your wind down time in the evening 
Today we want to do a short check-in. Mm-hmm. Both of us will do that. We have a fun uh, reading segment planned for you. Um, Sarah is going to read for a couple minutes out of a book she's been checking out recently, and I will do the same. Uh, if you remember the last episode we had, we kind of finished with the special reading of a Christmas song, both in Hungarian and English. So we kind of want to continue that a little bit. Maybe it will inspire you to pick up one of these books or a book off the shelf that you've been looking at that's been collecting dust for a while. Yeah, we won't be reading in Hungarian this time. Definitely. No, although I would like to say hello to our Hungarian listener. Yes. Sziasztok. Thank you for listening. We miss you. Yeah. Our Hungarian is slowly starting to fade. No. Still there. Hian zoom nektek. We miss you, guys. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, after our reading segment, we're going to talk about... Baby Menke. Yeah. Talk about Baby girl. what's up with Baby Menke coming soon to homes near you? To a to a world near you. Yeah. Um after we talk about Baby Menke, we'll talk about Hungary. Do you have to say it like that every time? Baby. Baby. Baby Menke. Like Elvis. Yep. After Baby Menke, we'll talk about what's up in Hungary. And we'll close out the episode today by talking about, Sarah, why don't you give us what our last point is for uh, The kind of highs and lows, worst and best, roses and thorns, whatever you want to call it, about being in the U.S. And then also all of those about not being in Hungary. Yeah. You nailed it. I, those are kind of the same thing? Yeah. I guess. I think it's great. Best and worst about being in the U.S. and best and worst about not being in Hungary, which means mm. best and worst about being in the U.S. Yeah, it's weird. Trying to think about how to word it. Yeah, but you guys get it. You'll see when we get to it. It'll all be clear. Yeah. So, sound good to you guys? You excited? You ready to go on this 45-minute journey with Sarah and moi? I can't hear you. Say it louder. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Also, Copper is nearby. He was underfoot, but he has since moved his way to his favorite spot on the couch. We had a epic mm-hmm. Sunday morning experience today. Copper and I went out in the woods, and he, after I took all this time to bathe him yesterday, yesterday he got his first bath since being back in the U.S. It's a little embarrassing, but it's... it's. He hates baths, so we try not to torture him. But we went out. Uh, there's this epic nature area nearby, and there's a not a like rushing river, more like creek. It's not a creek. It's actually like super wide. It's it's a decent like forty feet from one bank to the other. Oh wow! And it was moving, but it maybe gets to be like five feet. Um, Copper was just going crazy and kind of lost his location, his like ability to his spatial awareness and. He just charged right into the, like, 30-degree water. I don't know how cold it was. Really cold. Sounds about right. But he was having a blast out there, and then he ran out. And he didn't know this, but I was kind of staring at the water. Um, and I guess I'll segue into my check-in because um, since I came back from Hungary, I've been really exploring cold showers and polar plunges. And I think I'm coming up on, like, seven weeks 
straight of, I missed one day, but that was on purpose. Every morning I spend five minutes either in the cold shower or actually doing a cold, uh, cold plunge in the upstairs bathtub. And today, Copper inspired me. After I saw him get out, he didn't know this, but I was thinking about getting in there and doing my first river cold plunge. And when he got in there and he jumped out, I was like, all right, we're doing this. Inspiration. And I didn't have proper clothes on, like, at all. It's just like oh, you did jeans, a t-shirt, and a jacket. Your swim trunks to get to the walk no. in the winter. And, okay. No, yep. none of that stuff. But I was like, let's do it. And so... I stripped down my undies and I got in there and I would have been in there longer. It felt amazing. It was freezing, but Copper was just like, he went into like save master's life mode <laughs> and was standing on the edge, just barking like insane, insanely at me. And I do love how you use the words um, amazing and freezing in the same sentence. It's like... mind boggling to me. It's, it's a good thing. I just, it's uh particular it takes a particular person and you are that person well you have to just all right so once baby comes <laughs> baby. and and you're you know things have healed then you and i can do a cool a, a polar punch together and you'll well, we under can't. you'll experience it is it is it's terrible but it's it's amazing all right it like we will maybe see it wakes you up yeah Definitely. Gets you going. For sure. Read about it. People, oh, I'm, I've read about it. Guys, read about it. No doubt. No doubt about the benefits. Benefit. More about the experience and the journey. So, uh, yeah, that's been sweet. That was cool this morning. Uh, I have a lot to share about the last couple of months. Um, and we'll kind of do that throughout this episode and the next. Mm-hmm. Um. I think uh, I think every week has been r- super different. Yeah, that's true. I have been surprised that uh, you know I'm a person that can sometimes, especially in the winter, kind of it's like high highs and low lows, and I've been pleasantly surprised how just steady everything has seemed to be. There are lots of moments where some memory or some picture will come into my mind or a dream that I'll have will make me super sad that I can't drive down the street and get to my friends in in, in the village or you know there are in the cafe yeah i miss i miss that stuff like crazy those yeah. were those were like the golden years in many ways um especially towards the end there mm-hmm. the day the day to day of like being able to go and work in the cafe and hang out with Mishi. Those days where Heidi and Gary would come by after work and we'd hang out and sit and chat in the evenings and all of our friends and loved ones would pop in from time to time. It was never a dull moment. Yep. And, uh, so we miss that. I, I miss that a lot. Um, but, you know, as baby gets closer, it's like that's been a piece of the move back that has actually made things really easy for me is I've had something to focus on. It's not like I'm sitting around doing nothing, um, wallowing in how much I miss, um, the things we were doing and the people we were doing it with in Hungary. It's like, I am now in a new phase where I'm preparing, really preparing to be 
father. So yeah, and that's that's a beast in itself, you know. So that has really shaped like my day to day. It's a lot of my thoughts fall under the umbrella of you know what kind of a dad do you want to be and how are you preparing and also just enjoying being back home. Um, there was yeah. always this unsettled feeling of being in Hungary because it's just not home. Yep. But at the same time, I've learned that home is really about the people yep. that fill that place. There's a feeling, there's a vibe, there's a smell about certain parts of the world, and there's a familiarity mm-hmm. to some parts of the world that we'll never live in, but that place feels familiar mm-hmm. for this reason or that. But this is home for us, and home meaning being back in Michigan driving around and seeing all the the woods and i don't know driving away and yeah the food the i mean this is my childhood home so there's a deep deep familiarity with this home and um i was thinking about kind of what you said with the baby being in the future and correct me if it's different for you but the the baby the focusing on the future and kind of becoming a mother and for you a father that kind of focus it doesn't feel so much, you know, there's some things that you can distract yourself with when you maybe want to feel sad or lonely or upset that, you know, so much has changed and wanting to go back and that kind of thing. But like a baby is different. I don't think it's as much of a distraction as it has been a true blessing and a way for us to close the door mm-hmm. um, to the previous section of our lives. Um and not yeah turn the page not close the door i guess it's a little dramatic but um not not have to grieve that um and knowing that it was we were there for the time that we were supposed to be there and we're here for the time that we're supposed to be here um so that it it has not distracted us from the grieving process but has actually helped us move through a grieving process quicker and lighter and uh in a more accepting way Mm -hmm. i guess which is really cool. Huge, huge blessing in that. Um, I have also been kind of forward focused with baby and, um, you know, transition brings a lot of change. It brings a lot of challenges. It brings a lot of logistical things, financial challenges. It brings a lot of things with it. But as you said, Colin, there's a lot of familiarity and comfort and, uh, just like peace in coming back to a situation that we feel so comfortable in. Um, that has been really helpful. And between the kind of our friends, the mixture of, you know, we would love to see you. We want to talk. We want to catch up. And the other friends who have um, given us space. So on both ends, that has been such a huge blessing and made the transition incredibly easy. Um, and then, yeah, for me, the last couple months... I've been quite at peace for the most part. There's been a couple stressful maybe situations or kind of things in the back of my mind that keep coming up. But the thing that people mostly ask about is, are you stressed about the baby? Um, Whether it be the birthing process or having a newborn. Um, And that, one would think that would be the most stressful thing in my life, but it's really not. Um, It's been really quite amazing to discover what it's like to really not be in control of anything. She's going to come when she wants to come. She's going to 
come in the way she wants to come. There's nothing that I can do to really change that. And so um, letting go of kind of that control freak aspect of myself has been really nice the past couple months as it becomes more real as she's moving quite constantly or very regularly and kind of it's becoming real that there's like a like a real baby coming um so yeah it's been really great for me um and then I mean we'll talk about this probably more in detail but we both started jobs this month so this month of February has been quite a big adjustment in terms of time management making sure that we make time for each other making sure we take care of our dog making sure we take care of ourselves, especially me with growing a baby um, physically. And so that has been um, a big adjustment. We're pretty much exhausted, I would say all the time, but it's not in a way of complaining. It's it's in a way of we're exhausted because we're doing really fun and good things, uh, which is really cool. Um, it just is a big adjustment. That's one of the other major changes, not just moving across the world, but uh, starting our jobs this month. So, and we can go maybe a little bit more into detail about those, maybe maybe the next one or this one. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Never, yeah, just guide into it as it comes, you yeah. know. Um, so, you mentioned having to be intentional. Um, you, well, there's two things and I'll give you a choice. So you, you mm -hmm. mentioned exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And so path one would be, can you kind of compare and contrast exhaustion and Hungarian life ah. as missionaries, as nonprofit, cafe, youth, uh -huh. the list goes on, people, workers, um, and the exhaustion and the exhaustion of here, um, being back in our jobs, yeah. uh, the preparation. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be that would be option one. Option two would be, can you talk more about okay? So within that exhaustion, within that this transition season, laying down new roots here back in Mid Michigan, uh, and what ways have you noticed that we've been intentional about making time for each other, making time for Copper, making time for our marriage and. Mm -hmm. Uh, making time to prepare for being parents, making time for rest, making time for God. Mm -hmm. um, so, which whichever one you choose, I will I will choose the other one. Okay, I'll choose the exhaustion one. It's a little bit uh, easier easier answer for me at least without doing this on the fly. Um, the exhaustion in Hungary was, in my opinion, much more um, emotional and mental and kind of spiritual a little bit more or less uh tangible i guess and less physical um of course there are days when we we're physically tired and had long days and worn out with, you uh, can't put your finger on it of course you know we had days where we'd be up late doing meetings because of the time change it, you know late at night those kind of things but hungry was more of a constant, um, something was always pulling at you emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. Mentally, I would say mostly um, language. That was kind of a constant mental drain. Definitely. Um, you know, spiritually, because we're doing mission work and we're wor working in a very uh, spiritually poor place. Um, that was exhausting. And then emotionally, I think 
all of the physical, spiritual, and mental kind of stress that we were going through emotionally, uh, that was whether it be relationships, team dynamics, um, cafe issues to overcome, whatever it was. Um, and then the other thing would be the fundraising aspect of, for me especially, who is a little bit more, unfortunately, dollar sign focused, there was always kind of that in the back of my mind of, should we be buying this? Should we be doing this? And are we spending our money wisely? And what about our budget? And is this person going to give this month? Is this so that kind of all of those things are gone, really. It doesn't mean that there's no spiritual or emotional challenges here, but that was a constant. Whereas here, um, we're not living off of fundraised funds, but we are facing financial uh, eh, challenges that we are, we're getting out of now that we've started our work, but the transition season was pretty hard. Um, but the not living off of other people's uh, donations uh, is gone. Language barrier is gone. That's fully gone. Um, and then cultural barrier is fully gone. So that kind of, those kind of things, there's always going to be, you know, relational issues and things at work and hard challenges and stuff, kind of the basics. But a lot of the stuff that you didn't notice was wearing you down um, in Hungary is now gone. And so there is kind of a feeling, a little bit more of a feeling of like head above water uh, feeling, even if you get pulled back down with kind of the normal life things here, it feels much more um, doable, I guess, for me. Yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, it's a much more physical here. It's much more schedule, working in an ER, being on my feet for 10 hours, um, sleep, uh, obviously physical with the pregnancy, so... All of those are much more f tangible. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think you said that well. I think you summed that up. That's kind of a pretty condensed version. Yeah. Big summary there, I guess, wasn't it? Um, so, intentional. Talking about being intentional with yeah. um, with big life transitions. Um, I think for us, I'll just keep it. I'll just list it. Yeah. Um, basically, we've done really good with... Um, it's not about good or bad but we have we have actually done what we said we wanted to do every friday for the past few weeks we've been going out for sushi dates which is not good sushi dates for those of you who ask everybody asks me when i say we're going for sushi Kirk sushi. Yeah. <laughs> for me it's not always cheap but there's a lot of different sushi places you don't you don't always have to go to the best ones um but that's just something sarah really likes she loves sushi and i think it's pretty healthy so it's good um, but just taking that time to eat a meal together each Friday after a long week has been a really, really, really beneficial for us. Mm -hmm. um, also, I would say, I can't think of, so. You've been intentional with having planning conversations. Yeah. Kind of looking ahead. Like it's really important to take time to reflect on the past few days and then yeah. think about the next few just so that, you know, the stuff doesn't jump up on you. Um, we've been playing games a lot more. Oh, yeah. Um together, that's right. And with my parents. So it's it's good. Like we don't always have five hours to sit and have like a game afternoon, but we call them like game sessions. Mm -hmm. And you have been very intentional, I'll point out, with copper, spending a lot more time with copper outside, walking, going to the woods, just like you did this yeah. morning. That which is really cool. 
Definitely. I have had a little bit less motivation to do that. So I want to point that out for you. Well, also physically, it's it's harder yeah. for you to go out and walk in the woods for two miles. Yep. Yeah, and it's not that I don't enjoy those things, but there's a I think for 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 you guys out there listening too, there's a lot of those things that you know will bring you enjoyment once it's done. Once you actually did it, once you actually put it on the calendar, you you did the thing. Afterwards, you're like driving home thinking to yourself, that felt great. Like, why don't we do that more often? Or, wow, it didn't take that much time, like, to sit down and, you know, play a couple rounds of backgammon or whatever the new board game is that you picked up. Like, I was teaching him backgammon just this last week. Yeah, and I played it. I played it a little bit as a kid and I forgot how sweet that game is. It doesn't take that long. No. A couple rounds. And it's just a, it's a different way of connecting. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how, that's one of the ways we need to yep. connect. So, yeah, I think, I think the one area that we've probably, um, that needs some work in our intentionality is, is just taking more time to sit um, with God, hold our big questions before him, sit in his presence, pray together. So I'm saying that out loud on the podcast so that you guys can, know that we're only humans just because we were missionaries doesn't mean that we have this mm-hmm. extra you know we don't have an extra spiritual gene but that's something we can kind of think about and we, we're aware yep. of it so we just need to be more intentional about making space for that yep um so great that's a little bit of an update um for us with some kind of bonus questions there talked about exhaustion and be intentional. Two things I'm sure that many of you guys are dealing with on a daily basis. So maybe think to yourself, what is what is your relationship to exhaustion these days? And is there something that could be done? Is there a different way to think about it? Are there some practical things you can do um, to adjust your relationship to exhaustion? And then can you be more intentional as a friend, as a spouse, as a mother, a father, a leader, be more intentional for the things that matter to you that nobody else needs to know about. Just some open-ended questions for you to consider this week. So we're going to move into our reading segment, um, kind of like a halfway mark bridge here. Sarah, what you reading? So that just so you guys know, uh, Sarah is going to take probably maximum six minutes, a little bit of a intro to what she's reading and then she's going to read and then she's going to close it by just kind of saying something about why she's reading this book or whatever however you want to do that Sarah and then I'll do the same thing okay so the book I'm reading a couple books I have usually I have one fantasy book going um, and then I try to add in a practical or a spiritual or a could be a biography or whatever but right now you know because it's the phase of life that we're in um, I'm uh, I've read a little bit of this book. It's called The Wonder Weeks, A Stress-Free Guide to Your Baby's Behavior. And it's these um, couple authors and and scientists who have done a lot of studies with um, kind of the first few years of your baby's life. It goes into way more depth than you would in even like a child psychology uh, course. It goes into kind of every, almost every week phase and regression and kind of... Uh, 
talks you through that. So I haven't read a lot of it because they actually recommend reading reading the section about whatever phase your baby's in when your baby's in it. So I read like the intro and the kind of pre-stuff, things to look for. Um, but right now I'm kind of in just the the chapter is newborn, welcome to the world. So I just kind of wanted to be there. And I just thought this was kind of a nice little section um, reminding, so sorry for the people who either aren't parents or who don't want to be. This might be slightly uh, boring, but um, it's just a little section. We can fast forward. Yeah, exactly. You know, we said, you know, four or five minutes here. If you don't care about what we're reading, then just literally fast forward 10 minutes from the point. Exactly. And we'll see on the other side. Of yeah. <laughs> so here it is. It says, watch any new parent when they hold their baby for the first time. Chances are they will follow a particular pattern. First, they'll run their fingertips through the baby's hair. They'll run a finger around the baby's head and over their face. After this, they'll feel the baby's nails, fingers, and toes. They'll slowly move toward the baby's middle, along arms, legs, and neck. And finally, they will touch the baby's tummy and chest. The way in which parents generally touch their newborn baby's body is often very similar, too. First, a new parent will touch their infant with only their fingertips, stroking and handling them very gently. Slowly but surely, as they become more comfortable, they'll use all of their fingers and may sometimes squeeze their baby's skin. Finally, they'll touch them with the palm of their hand. And when they eventually dare to hold their baby by the chest or tummy, the new parent will be so delighted that they may exclaim what a miracle it is that they have produced something as precious as this. Ideally, this discovery process should occur as close to birth as possible, but don't worry if your baby is not ready to be held right away. Sometimes there are medical reasons to hold off, but it doesn't mean you will not be able to bond in the same way. Whenever you hold your baby for the first time, it will be one of the most special moments of your lives. After a mother and father first encounter, mother and father's first encounter with their baby, they will no longer be afraid to pick them up, turn them around, or put them down. Every baby looks and feels different. Try holding someone else's baby and you will notice it's a stranger experience. You've become so accustomed to your own that you forget that all babies are different. It will take a minute or two to get used to it. As we said in the preface, you will never forget those first moments and days with your baby. They will make a deep impression on you, and they are also essential for bonding with your baby. This is your time. Think about yourself and your brand new family. Be sure to speak up if you want to have your baby near you, or if you want to be alone with them for a while. You decide how often you want to pick up and cuddle your infant. Unless there are medical complications, don't worry about the social rules of how it should be done or take others' opinions too much on board. But it does say things that are good to know, so they have these little inserts here. It says most mothers feel extremely close to their newborn baby in the first hours after birth, but the experience can also be overwhelming. This feeling of closeness can happen more gradually, but when it does, mothers are extremely perceptive about their baby's needs at that moment. So when it's possible, if fathers can also hold their baby in the first hours after birth, they will build a strong bond with their baby. And most babies are wide awake during this period of time. They are aware of their surroundings, they turn towards quiet sounds, and they fix their gaze on the face that happens to hover above them. In the last little pop-up section here, it says, Do remember, cuddle, rock, caress, and massage your baby when they are in a good mood, because this is the best time to find out what suits them and what relaxes them most. When you know their preferences, you will be able to use these methods to comfort them later on when they are upset. If you only cuddle, rock, caress, and massage them when they're in a bad mood, your comforting can cause them to cry even longer and louder when you try to comfort them in such a way at a later time. But that was good advice. Very good advice. Yeah. That's my little section. I'm probably only going to read the newborn phase, and then when we get into that week, I'll read the next one. I was just thinking that. Um, probably some of the people that are listening 
are actually really young moms. Mm-hmm. That's true. Jamie and Mel. Mel, yep. That's true. Or have just come out of that stage, like Lizzie. Or have been out of that stage Emily. for a while with Emily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so many others. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's great. Yeah. I think this book is super cool. Very practical. It's very, yeah, very easy to read. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So my book, uh, it's called Red Moon Rising. Um, and it's a book that was written in the 90s by a guy named Pete Gregg. He's a, he's a British guy who, um, he works a lot uh, with prayer and he is a great teacher and author around the topic of prayer. But this is uh, the first book that he published and it is really, um, so Sarah and I went to a prayer conference in Vienna prayer gathering back in October and it was really a highlight moment for us. We learned a lot about prayer and I got to meet this um, this guy. So um, Red Moon Rising is one of the books that he's written and it's different than the other books because most of the books he's written are guides. This one is more of it's full of stories um, about his teenage years, his college years, post-college years and so I'm going to read a small section from chapter two, um, and it's titled Shift Happens. (laughs) Notice that one letter there that makes a big difference. Shift Happens. So let me read it for you. I had been in town just 48 hours when the call came. Pete, get down to the hospital quick. John's overdosed. Leaving Leaving my Sunday lunch, I rushed to the hospital with my head spinning. Just two days earlier, I had arrived in the ancient cathedral city of Chichester, situated by the sea 70 miles south of London, fresh from my tour of Europe, and with that vision of the army still buzzing in my brain. I'd come in search of discipleship, relocating from southeast London to a church community that was both exciting and challenging. Revelation Church had an unusual beginning when a load of poodle-haired glam rockers and skinny jeans encountered Jesus in the 1980s. Many of them had been involved in the occult, and with all the naivety of new Christians, they simply assumed that God was more powerful than the devil and got busy praying for the sick, casting out demons and speaking in tongues. This combined with the long hair, the body piercings, and the generally raucous approach to life was just too much for the local Anglican church, and they were effectively made to leave. The bewildered youth group began meeting in a nearby hall, trying to work out how to do this exciting thing called church, armed only with Bibles. One of them, Malk Garda, interesting and cool name, Malk Garda was instantly appointed as worship leader, partly because he was the only member who could play the guitar, but mainly because he had an afro and bore a more than passing resemblance to Freddie Mercury, lead singer of the band Queen. The ringleader of the group was Roger Ellis, a blonde-haired headbanger in his 20s with a croaky voice from screaming at way too many gigs. Roger was taken aside by the group's first visiting speaker and told that they didn't have even one-fifth of what it takes to build a church. And with these words of encouragement ringing in their ears, they drew lots and found themselves named Revelation. It was really because of Roger that I found myself in Chichester, zooming down the road to accident and emergency on a mission from God. Ever since that vision in Cape St. Vincent, I had been wondering what to do about it. That was the vision of an army of young people 
praying. That was his vision from chapter one. And all I knew for sure was that it had to begin with getting myself sorted. God had spoken to me clearly in a London park one day, pointing out a majestic oak tree before directing my attention to Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I knew God was telling me to put down roots by some kind of stream. Like most people, I was relatively fruitful when the sun was shining. A few friends had become Christians, and I was even viewed as something of a leader by about half of a dozen of my peers. I was the guy who did pretty much everything exciting he could think of for God. I had driven relief vans to Romanian orphanages, smuggled Bibles into China, worked in Hong, Hong Kong with heroin addicts, and in London with the homeless, but I still hadn't found a community where I could fully commit myself. I was not rooted anywhere. And as a result, whenever the seasons of my life changed and the sun disappeared, so did my fruitfulness. I went from hero to zero with each passing season. Jeremiah was right. My girlfriend had recently finished with me, and I'd been inconsolable. If I wanted to bear fruit supernaturally, regardless of the climate of current circumstance, I knew I needed to draw water from an ongoing community that would challenge me, encourage me, and hold me accountable, whatever the weather. Finding a community and a mentor who would disciple me and believe in me enough to challenge me hadn't been easy. In fact, I had approached one particularly godly older man who had a forensic knowledge of scripture and asked him to be a father in God to me. He had said okay and invited me around for the most embarrassing cup of tea of either of our lives. I left with the reading list of worthy Christian books and was never invited to return. I'm not blaming this guy. He just didn't know how to do for me something that had never been done for him. Then I met Roger Ellis, the croaky blonde headbanger, and he intrigued me. Roger and his friends were more passionate about God, yet gloriously and outrageously normal. Melk had long since shaved off the afro. Roger's hair was now tidily pulled into a ponytail, and I could imagine my friends liking them a lot. Most of the really zealous Christians I'd known up till then seemed to live on a spiritual spaceship many miles from the real world. On the other hand, the Christians I knew who loved football and parties and could hold their own in a crowded bar often seemed compromised in their commitment to God. But Roger and the crew from Revelation were ordinary and extraordinary at the same time. They were in the world without being molded by it, and, it, and I was impressed. Roger was genuinely interested in me. On one occasion, he phoned simply to ask how I was doing. I kept asking him to end the pleasantries and say, Pete, the reason I've called is... But it never happened. He finished the call, and I stared at the phone in disbelief. A Christian leader simply seemed interested in me for myself. And with that call, Roger got me. I got him and a church and a wife. That's another story. And a calling that I'm surfing to this day. It's more important to know whom you are called to be with than what you are called to do. Chemistry and relationship, and I'm almost done, <laughs> beat strategy and geography every time. And so without a second thought, I quit the bright lights of the big city for quaint rural Ch Chichester near the sea. Uh, a little cliffhanger for the next time is the beginning of the next section. I arrived to discover a mini-revival among all the local goths, punks, tree-hugging, tie-dyed crusties, and dreadlocked alternatives in town. Guys with chains from their ears to their noses, girls with Mohicans, 
pretty much anyone with Doc Martin boots and a weird haircut had recently either become a Christian or firmly rejected Christ. There was a manic worship led by a guy with a nose ring and a couple of rude words written on his bass guitar. Shamans and Satanists became Christians. One former Satanist felt so liberated that he went and began desecrating graves with Christian graffiti until he got a very awkward phone call from the local priest asking if we could please make him stop. And yes, there were evidently drug overdoses too. So I went a little bit long, but that section is one of my favorite sections from this book so far. And it, I chose it because... It's really, it really illustrates where I'm at and and my and my faith. As we've moved back from Hungary, these are the things I'm looking for. I'm looking for the this. I'm not looking for a situation or a community exactly like what he described, but you know he was kind of struggling with how he thought he was successful in his faith but then he came across this group of ragtag recovered burnouts and saw the way that they connected with Jesus and it woke him up and he wanted to be a part of that and that's kind of what I'm after so that was a cool section yeah very nice both are pretty pretty different. Yeah, I was going to say, we're uh, reading different genres here, I think. Yeah. I didn't read for my fantasy genre because I know at least two listeners, one um, of them sitting next to me, who's reading the same series, and I am way further ahead, so I did not want to give spoilers. Uh-huh. So that would have been particularly different from what you just read. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, so Sarah, tell us what's up in Hungary. Give us, just give us some bullet points some some updates of what's been going on over there yeah so there's so we have updates but they're not incredibly um detailed which was which is a little bit of our it was a little bit of our goal in this transition season we really wanted to transition well um and give leadership over um or continue to have leadership with the local hungarians who are staying on the ground there so in our transition, I would say really December and January, really, um, we didn't really know what was going on at all. I don't think we really got any info, and that was on purpose. The youth group was pausing for Christmas and school and things like that. Um, the coffee house was continuing, and we can see their social media, but that's the only information that we were receiving. February kind of started to take a turn in neutral way Uh, we started getting more information we kind of are a little bit more behind the scenes now and essentially um what has changed since we left um i think most mostly all good changes uh the coffee house is now open tuesday through saturday they're closed on sundays and mondays and they have morning hours and they have evening hours and then they have a gap in the afternoon where it's closed so kind of the high high time hours they've expanded their menu like crazy mishi is particularly good at cooking um and coming up with ways to make profit with food so that's amazing they have burgers they have hot dogs they added um like a s'mores kit where you can like cook things over a little fire um they fondue fondue that's what it was that's what i was thinking yeah yeah fondue um 
yeah, they've added, you know, for Valentine's Day, they had specials and cool cakes. And um, he's really been really expanding everything. The social media has, uh, since it got taken over from us, it's actually improved significantly. Um, no offense to either of us, but it's uh, Bianca, who's managing it, is doing a really fantastic job. It's beautiful. Um, and they're... They've kept. They've been able to keep it open already for three months, so that's a huge success. Yeah. Um, and now we are getting to the point of kind of financially speaking, um, kind of getting back into making sure that they're supported and that they're not. Uh, it's still a nonprofit, and so we're kind of making sure that we can help as much as we can and find a few other people to do the same. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And then in terms of the youth, all the people who were left, Hoiny Gary, Christian, Mickey, and Seely. Um, Hoiny kind of has been out. She had a baby uh, last month, and so her kind of role has pretty much gone away when it comes to the youth right now. Um, but really, the, the other leaders have stepped up. As far as we can tell, we're still in the group chat. They've stepped up. They've kind of come up with a rotating system of which adults are there on which days, Celia and Christiane, as the social workers, are the head leaders because it's part of their social work program. Um, but with Mishi and Gary uh, and Mickey, they are able to kind of rotate who comes who comes through and helps. And not every adult has to be there every week. And so that's really, really cool that they found a way for what works for them. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard any bad news, so that's always a good thing. And it sounds like they meet almost every week as far as we can tell. So that's really cool. We've also been able to get some funds for supporting the youth as well in the past month um, from some really generous church supporters. And the Alpha Group. There's now a big group meeting in the cafe that Geza and Ildiko lead. Um, Alpha is kind of a a program that... uh, mentors or disciples kind of new believers it's it's for beginners and that has been exploding um in terms of numbers and in terms of people who have given their life to jesus prayer has been a huge portion of that everybody's prayed out loud everybody's been praying together and for each other and so that is a huge huge blessing um and that takes place in the cafe so all amazing updates for those listening who don't know what is an alpha group yeah, it's a program that's like for beginner Christians, um, people who are either not Christian, who have questions about the Bible, or people who are and who are kind of new to the faith. I did. What's deal? Just plugging Alpha twice. It's fine. <laughs> when I asked that, I was like, oh. <laughs> I forgot we'll this. We'll double that one now. <laughs> Um, and then the only other thing I would add is is that um, Henrik had an opportunity oh, yeah. to go with uh, Mickey to uh, right. Word of Life. It's like a Bible school. They had an annual missions conference, and Henrik is the uh, local builder who built the Upstairs Youth Center. Uh, he shared his testimony and uh, shared about how he has recently become a Christian um, in the past couple months. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty special because yep. we saw on YouTube, we got a translated version of it it was a conference that was translated into english so that was pretty cool also we just want to say a happy birthday oh bulldogs yeah. in the henrik it is his birthday today happy birthday henrik um 
So I think you covered updates there. All the big ones, yeah. So let's close out uh, with worst and bests. Worstses and bestses. <laughs> so worst, worst part about being in the U.S. is... For me, I would say not being able to be there with our friends, um, especially Hoiny's, Hoiny and Gary's new little one, little Ezra, um, not being able to meet him in person and not being able to uh, be with our friends and our kids. Yeah. A worst part is is that it's just really hard to maintain your connections. Yes. And uh, the people that we saw on a daily or weekly basis, there's just such a sudden yep. off switch. Yep. And it's just hard with the time change and with, yep. we have opportunities with technology, but it's just not the same. With my random schedule as well, there's just a lot of factors. And culturally, Hungarians have a, one of the things they've taught us is there is such a value on sitting at a table, being together. Yep. Video, phone calls, it just doesn't cut it. Yep. So we're looking forward to our, our trip later this year already. Uh, best part about being back in the U.S. of A. Mm. So a, a smaller one, but a big one is... Um, the space here, and that really mostly applies to Copper, his ability to be able to run around. We have a big yard, open neighborhood, um, woods and things. Uh, my parents, like him having more people, my parents take care of him and, and love him and spend time with him and just seeing how happy he is. It's not, that's the first thing that came to mind. It's one of the best, but that's what I got under pressure. I didn't think through this question before we answered it. <laughs> <laughs> enough um i'm gonna go on a little bit of a deeper note yeah uh, i thought of another one now too but go ahead <laughs> not to compare and no yeah uh yeah living in another country for almost three years um really makes you put the nation that you call home under a different lens and a different microscope uh, since i've come back I've had countless conversations with Americans who have asked me to sort of quantify the negative changes that have taken place in this country since we left. Um, obviously, we were here through the seasons previous to 2021. So, and really, COVID and election season. Let's just let's just say COVID election season, the summer of George Floyd, yep, his death, and all the things that ensued. So it was like one season after another after another and yep. it was like people were just burnt out and over there was emotions were just like running off the tracks left and right and people were freaking out and that was a crazy couple of years um and then we went to hungary for three years and now we're back here and some some of the unfortunate rifts and divides are wider um but for me I don't want to go on too much of a soapbox, but moving to Eastern Europe and living there for three years, uh, I got to tell you guys, this is a great country and this is an amazing place to live. Yes. And there's a lot of things that are not okay with our country, but there are a lot of things that 
we need to be grateful for. We really take for granted, I think. So I'm, I'm thankful. When I flew in, when we when we landed after a crazy day of travel, bringing our dog and all the things, almost missing our flight. I will likely never forget. Uh, our cousin Brandon and Sarah's mom picked us up in this huge twelve passenger van for all of our suitcases from Chicago. Yeah. And we didn't know what time it was. We were like, just, where am I? It's like you're a blur, like a cartoon character, because you're moving, but you feel like you can't catch up. There's like, it's... Your legs are going really fast, and you can't see the legs, but you're like going really slow. That's exactly like a great image. We all know those cartoons. Yep. So then I'm in the van. We pull out from the parking area which is always chaotic at the airports and i just see the american flag and the sun was like shining on it perfectly and i realized that i hadn't seen an american flag flying for over a year and that was an emotional moment for me and so that's that's a special thing and i'm just grateful to be back in the u.s and grateful to be an american um the worst part about not being in Hungary, which we kind of answered. Which is a similar answer, but yes. Yeah, to like flip it upside down. Um, the worst and best part, I'll do two for one here and then I'll pass it to you to finish us off, Sarah. The worst part about not being in Hungary uh, is for me the just the, the routine that we had and being able to do meaningful work like that. We're doing meaningful work here at our new jobs, but that, that just... It's just a different different kind of meaningful. It's a career versus... I mean, the, right the impact yeah. that you're able to have yes. plus your short time on a community, especially with the kids. Yes. Um, and the programs that we were able to be a part of um, putting into place. Yep. That was really special. And that gives you that gives you a sense of purpose and an excitement and a joy and an energy that is just like, it's nothing like I've had since... I've never experienced before or after Hungary anything like that. That was just so meaningful, and I'm just so grateful for that. The best part about not being in Hungary is is that I'm in the U.S., and the flow of life and the pace, even though it's crazy, it's more comfortable for me. It's not quite so shocking. I feel like I, I, I blend in better here. There, I felt like I stuck out. I was always feeling like I stuck out. I go to the grocery store, I'm sticking out. Driving down the street, sticking out, you know, so. Yep. Sarah? Yeah, uh, the main, the worst part about not being in Hungary, I did mention it. It's the same as my other one. The My other answer will be different, but um, is is the the missing out with our friends and our the experiences, whether it be the cafe or Hoiny's Baby or the Alpha Group or, you know, all of these things that are happening that we updated you on. Um and so that that's the worst part about not being in Hungary. The best part about not being in Hungary is similar to what Cullen said of and and what I was summarizing with the the difficulties kind of that the the exhaustion. Um, the best part is that we don't have maybe eighty percent of the things that were wearing on us, language, cultural, mission, challenges, a war next door, those kind of ideas were really, um, those are removed totally. And so that kind of extra brain space, extra emotional space 
um, is probably the best part about not being in Hungary for me. All right, well. And we didn't talk about Baby Menke, but we can do that next time. We will. We'll leave you on a cliffhanger. I know you really enjoyed my reading section. <laughs> That's so, why we suck. Stay tuned. Baby Menke. Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, I will continue. And then Baby Menke will be the first topic that we get to. Yeah. In episode 11. Yep. So, guys, can't wait for episode 11. Um, also, just wanted to uh, recap. We had a check-in. We had a reading segment, which was fun. We talked about Hungary, and we talked about worstesses and bestesses. <laughs> Hope you guys have a great week ahead. Yeah, enjoy the sunshine. We missed you guys, and we'll we'll talk soon. We'll chat soon, Blooming Abroad listeners. Thanks for tuning in to episode 10. Ta-ta for now. Mm-hmm. <laughs>